Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com or on your favorite podcast listening platform. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, co-founder of Biotech 2050 and today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a future of work platform that's organizing and providing access to worldwide life sciences expertise. I'm excited to welcome Rachel Myers, the Chief Scientific Officer at Phase Medicines. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rachel. Pleasure to be here. So Rachel, to kick us off, I would love if you could intro us to the arc of your career and how you got to where you are today. I'd be delighted to. I'm a New York City kid and went to public schools in New York City and hadn't really figured out exactly what I wanted to do. Went to college with some interest in math and science, but had what I would say was foundational experience that really led to the rest of my career. And that was taking a job in biotech in the 80s at a company called Genetics Institute. I barely knew what biotech was. There were only a few companies around. I had no idea really what I was doing. And I was hired to do some chemistry, but it was eye-opening for me as an opportunity to understand the intersection between business and science and medicine and patients. And I am forever grateful for having had that opportunity to meet amazing scientists. And thematically, I will say it taught me the first and I would say most important lesson, which was relationships matter. And I have continued and maintained some relationships from that time in the 80s when biotech was really just getting off the ground. So that experience also taught me that chemistry wasn't quite my thing and forced me to go to graduate school in biology, which was a beautiful thing. And I had opportunities to learn and be exposed to amazing scientists with an eye towards going back to biotech. I did a postdoc at the medical school with the goal of learning some new things and kicking off the family which worked out extremely nicely on both fronts. And then I took that and did do that jump into biotech, spent some time deconvoluting the genome at Millennium, did a very long stint at Elmylam, really developing a platform and translating that platform into drugs around RNA interference, and then jumped off that wagon and decided to think fresh and new about different things and did so within the confines of the venture capital arena and went to Third Rock to think about new ideas, new things, and culminated in the launching of this company called Phase Medicines, which is focused on drugging biomolecular condensates. Wonderful. And talk to us a little bit about incubating or perhaps forming a company within a venture group and what that experience was like for you. It's a super interesting experience, which I have to confess, although I'd been in biotech for a while, I really had no idea what it would be like. And I would say to many of you out there, it's hard to know about many things until you try them. So I thoroughly encourage you to try something. It's a beautiful way to learn about it. Particularly at Third Rock, the way it works is ideas are swirling around and pieces of science become interesting. And I will say that one of the things I started thinking about when I went there was RNA. I had become intimately familiar with RNA, actually from my earliest days of doing some nucleic acid work, but in thinking about RNA as a target and RNA as a drug modality. And that sort of led to a real appreciation for the ways in which RNA drives biology. And that thinking about RNA led in lots of meandering directions, which I actually won't take you down, but ultimately it led to my understanding and appreciation of the ways in which RNAs interacting with proteins can form interesting structures that drive interesting biology, regulate diseases that are important. And that 
is the work of biomolecular condensates, which ultimately became the focus. And it really was this beautiful opportunity in venture to think about science, to find out who's doing amazing work, call them on the phone. They will always talk to you. As you know, academic scientists will talk to anyone about what they do because they love it and are interested and become educated in a field that was burgeoning and then try and figure out how you can translate that incredibly interesting field into an opportunity to actually develop drugs. And that's the journey at a venture firm, or certainly that is the journey often at a place like Third Rock. Yeah, understood. And you were at El Nylum during a period of tremendous growth for the company. And I'm sure you observed a lot of evolution of corporate culture during that time there. I'm curious, is there something that sticks out during your tenure at El Nylum that you then took with you? And I'm sure there's many things, but if there's one or two things that particularly stick with you in terms of what you brought with you to phase when you started there? Yeah. As you say, when you're at a place for 14 years and it is growing from nothing to the incredible place that it is now, and of course was when I left, there are many, many, many things that you learn. But I would say one that I keep coming back to in my mind is just have to take you back a little bit and remind you that as is true for many industries and many technologies, when you are building a company based on a technology platform, it's a journey and it takes some time. And there was a moment in time for the technology platform that was RNA interference, where the external environment had soured, had soured on this idea. And, and basically what they had soured on is there was a little bit of a disappointment in how quickly one could translate these ideas and this mechanism into drugs that were in driving forward in indications and development. And the way that revealed itself was in large numbers of pharmaceutical companies, waving goodbye and publicly making the statement, we're not in this anymore. And so there's enormous amount of business development in RNA interference, and then a lot of exiting and running away from it. And when you get people with big, deep pockets, very publicly running away from a field that obviously has a significant impact, right? And so that led to, you know, a retrenching at the company. And that happens in lots of companies, right? There's lots and lots of times when companies are going up and down. But what was so powerful at Elm Island culturally was that in the midst of this external kind of snubbing their nose at this technology, there was an internal drive and motivation because internally we were able to convince everybody that we actually had this. We had this technology. We really did understand a lot and we were going to be able to do it. And those business deals that had been done earlier on gave an enormous cushion right, of resources to double down. And the organization tripled down in translating the science into medicines. And it was amazing what came out of that from a time of serious disappointment and you know, people were um, scratching their head and, and wondering about things to incredible productivity. And that was because on the business side, we had filled the coffers. And on the science side, we actually genuinely believed we could do this and proved it. And so I'm really cognizant of setting yourself up for what's hard and you know, shoring up the coffers so that you can actually make it through the hard stuff and get to the other side. And I take that with me everywhere. That's really interesting learning, you know, where the business that we're in, there is a tremendous amount of inherent risk. And part of the challenge in, in running a biotech is 
keeping the team motivated despite failures along the way, which, which for sure are bound to happen. From a cultural perspective, I know you mentioned that you had quite a bit of investment through partnerships, et cetera. Anything from a cultural perspective in terms of either lessons learned or advice that you would provide current leaders at biotechs when they are going through these ups and downs? And, and you know, we're recording this during a turbulent time within biotech as well. So I'm sure folks are, are interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think actually what was key was that deep down, people knew that the science was actually working and was going to work. And in a time when things were tough, people had three times as many things to work on. So there was an overabundance of enthusiasm for let's move, let's get this done. And people effectively had so much to do, literally so much work to do, so many projects that kind of what was happening externally took a little bit of a backseat because in fact, there was an inherent belief Science is amazing, right? Science is interesting. And if you can grab on to important problems and see movement in those, it's kind of what you need. And I think there's always an opportunity in an interesting field of science. There was always an opportunity to grab onto that question and with robustness, try and drive forward to an answer. It's true in our field right now. You know, the stuff we're doing right now is filled with questions. As of course, you know, it's always important to understand what the right question is to ask to direct your resources at those right questions. You know, wasn't planning on bringing this up until later in the conversation, but I'm curious what impact COVID has had on company building, company culture. You know, phase was formed in the midst of the pandemic in December of 2020 as it relates to this particular topic of, of getting everyone to row in the same direction and bring tremendous amount of passion to what they're doing. Yeah, I think it's a really important question and one that frankly, I think is an enormous challenge right now. And I would say we are facing that challenge, just like many, many other companies are facing that challenge. And I think for those of us who are a little bit older and don't have gray hair because perhaps we diet, but I think you know what I mean. We have uh, come from an environment where you're always in, you're, you're in the office and that's how you do your work. And we're now in an environment where the expectation is A, that you don't have to be in, and B, that you really, we need to be flexible for individuals to manage all of the complexities that have emerged as a consequence of the pandemic. And I would say the consequence of that really is we've got to be much more creative about how do we develop those cultures and relationships. And I would argue to you that there's no simple fix to it. And in fact, I think what we're seeing is a little bit of a shift in the way people think about loyalty to a company. Right? And the fact that you can sit on Zoom and you can participate and be fully engaged in science, but yet not engaged by looking someone in the eye, turning your chair and talking to them, having that conversation about what's happening with their life, I really do think that that changes how people feel about companies. And we have to work harder to create ways in which people feel those connections. It makes communication more important. It makes it much more important to think about individuals and the opportunities that they can have because we need ways to connect when those simple human ones of of sharing a coffee with someone aren't there. And so I really, um, you know, we've seen, as I'm sure you can appreciate, a ton of movement in the industry, the amount of movement. Now, there's lots of opportunities. That's great. But there's also, I would argue, a difference in how loyal people are to an organization. And that's, I think, a consequence of this new reality. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the companies that are most impacted and perhaps disproportionately impacted are those that are in that high growth phase, right? From the zero to 100 employees and not the necessarily the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, if you will. But you know, when you're really setting the tone of who you are as a company. Uh, yes, I, I, I completely agree. And when you start a company in this new normal, you, you don't actually have anything to compare. You know, it's not like you're five years old and you used to do things one way. And now we're in this moment in time and you figure out which of these new things you want to adapt and which of the things that you used to do, you want to go back to. There is no used to, and there is no going back to. So it's all about rethinking how to shape a company to maintain, you know, and I think it's just, it comes back to the first thing we talked about, which is relationships. Relationships matter. We have to figure out all kinds of ways to cultivate those relationships, that shared notion that we are doing this thing together. And in fact, without all of us, we won't be successful. And I think that's a concept that I think for, for newer people in the industry, they don't always embrace that, you know, collaboration and communication. It's about the idea that if we're not all doing it, we're actually not going to be successful because you can't do it. I can't do it. Joe can't do it. Frank can't do it. We have to foster that. Yeah, very well said. Great advice, Rachel. Before we get into the exciting work that you all are pursuing at Phase, in your past, you've worked on a few platform technologies with perhaps well-understood biology and biological processes. Juxtapose that experience that you've had with your experience at Phase and the perhaps the, the challenges and opportunities of those differences. That's a really great question, one that I've thought about. And I would say you rightly articulate the idea that there are opportunities in which you identify a piece of technology, like, for example, at Elmylum, where you're understanding a piece of biology, which is RNA deference, translating that to a technology, and you can very clearly see how that will have an impact. And in fact, what's the hard thing? And the hard thing is everyone understood in that industry was delivering an entity as a drug that doesn't look much like a drug. And that hard thing was identified at the start of the field. It's still the hard thing. It's the thing everyone still works on. And it's a very a nice, clean story to tell. What we're working on at phase is, let me just uh, give you a little bit of background. It is the understanding of organization in the cell, right? It's the way in which biomolecules come together in a cell biomolecules, meaning proteins and nucleic acids, often RNAs. And the idea that they come together in time and space to do work in the cell. And that work could be basic mechanisms of biology, like transcription and splicing and, and translation, signal transduction, movement of things from one place in the cell to the other. And we now have a better understanding of the ways in which these molecules come together to do that work. That's number one. Number two, we've started to understand that the ways they come together and the fact that they come together can be perturbed in disease. And that genetics is teaching us that mutations in various different genes are translating to perturbations in this process of the coming together and the work of these biomolecules. And that says, okay, so this interesting way in which assemblies are happening and function might be linked to disease and causing disease. And then the third piece, of course, is that we then have to do something about it. We have to develop drugs that are going to alter the ways in which these condensates function to have an impact on disease. And so what we have is a new piece of biology, 
emerging links between that new cellular organization and biology and new links to disease, and then a need to figure out how to drug those processes. And none of those things are fully understood. So there's no example of the drugging. And there are continued emerging examples of these links, but the field is creating itself. And so as I think about what that means, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to simply articulate what the company is trying to do, to entice people to join in the journey, to help people understand what's possible and why they should join the party, either that, you know, as members of the team or as investors. And it's been really interesting to evolve that story. And in terms of the evolution of that story, what have you learned in terms of what's worked and what hasn't worked from a narrative perspective, obviously based on different audiences? Right. So um, I think you said something very key there, which is, and of course, this is a general lesson we all learn, which is that to be most effective, right, we need to figure out what we're trying to say, who we're saying it to, and the best way that they're going to hear that information. But I would say in the course of a year or two, it's been fascinating to watch the change in people's understanding from a time when people didn't understand what the words meant. What is a biomolecular condensate? What, what, what does that even mean? And so when we talked about this field, we had to start with some foundational definitions. And that has evolved to people having full understanding and appreciation of these kinds of structures. And in fact, many, many links to processes and even diseases. Now the conversation is, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Tell me how you are going to take this understanding and these links and make medicines. And I will say that we have a bit of an easier job talking about it because what we're trying to do is actually really understand these condensates and deconstruct them, understand the important components and how they're regulated. And once you do that, you can then specifically identify drug targets. And if you have a drug target, you can think about all of the toolkits of strategies for doing drug discovery, which is what we do. And that part people understand. They're still waiting for, show me, everyone wants you to show them, but I think that's clear. And so I think it's getting easier. Right? People are starting to understand what the structures are, how they're linked to biology, why they're linked to disease, and how you're going to go about making drugs. And now all that's left is making drugs. Sounds easy, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Talk to us about this easy work that you're pursuing now and, and where you are from an R&D perspective. So we started the company based on what we thought were some of the strongest links between this condensate biology and disease, right? places where genetics showed us that perturbations of a particular condensate are going to have an impact on disease. That's where we started for diseases that matter, where there was certainly unmet need. And we have focused on neurodegenerative diseases and cancer. And then we've tried to ask ourselves, so we've done two things. We are pursuing target discovery. So to get at those key nodes, those key constituents that are regulators or central players that we want to drug. And in some cases, we've identified those and we're already doing drug discovery on those. And in other cases, we're doing target discovery. Tease out what are those most important nodes that we can go after to do drug discovery. And so that's you know what we're about. And along the way, we continue to expand the kinds of indications, those links between genetics, condensate, and disease are expanding all the time. And so we continue to be looking looking at that and expanding that and continuing to build the platform. And of course, like many, many platform companies, we're building the platform and driving the programs forward at the same time, as we all know and love. 
Yeah. And when there is such an opportunity ahead of you, curious if you have any particular frameworks that you like to use in terms of indication selection and when you decide to pursue what, particularly given you know the size and age of the company. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. Of course, the answer to that is going to evolve as the platform evolves. I think one of the really important things we learn from platform type technologies is that they can be pointed in some directions better than other directions. And that's always true. And that is still part of our learning, which is of the opportunities that we can really wrap our arms around in terms of unmet need and clinical development. Where can we best actually aim this kind of technology? And I'm going to say that we're still figuring that out, right? We're still figuring that out. And so I would say we're sort of, if you look at what we're doing, we're kind of at interesting different sides of the spectrum of neurodegenerative disease by anyone's estimation enormously important, huge unmet need and very hard, but where there's very interesting proof points in the science and cancer, right? Where we understand there's lots of players in the space and we understand what development looks like. We understand what those timelines are. We understand what those endpoints are, all of that. So we're sort of, you know, hedging our bets with respect to what's really hard about clinical development. But I would still argue to you, the key is ultimately going to be, what do we learn about where best we can point this platform and these technologies? Great advice, Rachel. Given all that you have seen and achieved across your career, and particularly for perhaps some of our younger listeners that are biotech curious, what's one piece of advice you wish you could provide your younger self? I'm going to go out on a limb and say my younger self was reasonable at doing what I'm about to say. I have learned and seen so many times, which is that you never know what is going to turn out to be an interesting experience or career direction for you. And therefore, you must, must, must be open to opportunities. And don't think you know too much about where somebody's going to take you because number one, you never know where the science is going to go. You also never know what humans you're going to interact with along the way. The piece of advice would be be extremely open to opportunities because I have in my own life experienced incredible surprises in a journey. And I would further say sometimes you don't actually have the vision yourself to know where something will go. So if you have a person who maybe has a bit more experience that's making a suggestion, they might be able to see something you can't see and just be open to it. And I can't tell you the number of times that I have heard people say, I wound up doing something, wasn't sure I really wanted to do it. And it turned out to be an amazing learning experience and actually brought me to the next thing. So be open. And then the other thing I have to say, which was the first thing I said, and then I've already said it twice, is relationships matter. It's an incredibly small world. Everybody knows everybody and you never know when people are going to intersect with you again. And so, um, you know, think about and foster relationships. Great. Well, Rachel, thanks for the thoughtful conversation. We certainly covered a lot in 30 minutes. Wishing you and your colleagues continued success at FaZe as you pursue this very important work. Really, really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. And great to meet you. Yeah, you too, Rachel. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.